Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. We have a packed show on Let Me Be Frank today. We're going to start off the first segment just kind of catching up with Bishop Caggiano. Uh, and then in the second segment, we get serious. There are three bills actively in process here in the state of Connecticut that all Catholics should know about. And uh, one is pushing physician-assisted suicide. Another one is targeting pro-life pregnancy centers. And the other one is targeting uh, religious freedom. So this is important stuff. So keep your radio right here on 1350 AM for today's show. Keep it on 1350 AM throughout the week. And you can also listen live on your phone using the Veritas Catholic Network app. The app is great because in addition to listening to the live radio stream, you can also grab podcasts of our local shows anytime. Let Me Be Frank, Restless, The Frontline with Joe and Joe, and The Focus on Veritas. And so if you haven't already, just make sure you download the app. It's on the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, and you can go to uh, www.veritascatholic.com. We are bringing the truth to Connecticut and New York. So when you're tired of listening to noise on the radio, put on Veritas and be fed. All right, everybody. And uh, with that, I'd like to welcome you all to Let Me Be Frank. It's my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, how are you, my friend? Excellency. <laughs> so good to see you every week. Yeah, definitely. Same. <laughs> I feel the same. And, you and, know, yes, go ahead. No, and this week we have lots of little things to talk about. It's like catch-up week. Yeah, you're right. Because, you know, from... Uh, boy, even going back to the inauguration through Lent and Easter with the special guests we've had on the show, and it's been a mm-hmm, lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is—it's nice to just catch up a little bit. Yep. And, yep. and I would—I would say the weather is getting warmer. Vaccine distribution is pumping for those who want it. Summer's around the corner. I mean, you've got to be feeling positive, Excellency. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Summer is not far away. My gosh, and the, <laughs> the weather, as you say, is giving me tremendous encouragement and hope. But I said to myself. What's new this summer that was not true last summer is I am 17 pounds heavier. That's what's new. Okay. It's very, very disheartening. So much so that I, say, I look myself in the mirror and say, oh, no, you can't this summer. No, no. This would be like a tragedy. <laughs> so I got to get serious. Uh, I'll tell you my problems, but I have to get serious. We got to get onto the program. It's- <laughs> One of the pitfalls of uh, the online existence, I guess, huh? Because yeah, you look great on, online on the on the computer screen here. <laughs> yeah, sure, because the, you could do all that stuff online now. You could change the way you look and all the rest of it. great. <laughs> yeah. But when you get up and up close and personal, there's no hiding it. And <laughs> no, so this is my hope. My hope is with summer coming, things may get a little bit quieter, mm-hmm. is to really focus in on healthy eating and some exercising, yeah. no gym, those days are over for me. But you know, maybe a walk, a brisk walk every day, something, right, to get back. You know, because there's a spiritual principle here. What is the difference between self-love and love of self? They're not the same thing. Hmm. Now I was having this conversation with a, a, a dear friend of mine and there's a profound spiritual principle under it, okay. What's the difference? Self-love is when you, you gratify yourself, okay? Not looking at the longer aim of 
loving yourself by willing the good for yourself. Right. So Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So the same will to do the good for others, you have to apply to yourself. So self-love, I'll have those 10 Oreos because I love Oreos. <laughs> love of self in the true form is, well, no, I'm not going to have those because while I would like to, what's actually good for me is to have something else, whatever that something else is. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have been tempted by the self-love during the COVID crisis, you know, to combat anxiety and fear and just boredom and loneliness or whatever else it may be. But so what I'm really saying is I think even I've fallen into that periodically and now it's time to say, no, the true love of self is you have to do what's good for you, good for your health, good, right? For your life, for your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now that the weather's getting better, I mean, you can get outside. It's uh, walks are really, really good for you. I mean, mentally and physically. And spiritually. Yeah. See, when I can, I love to pray the rosary walking. Particularly, let's say, for example, now in Stanford, when I walk the grounds of Trinity, old Trinity Catholic High School, right? Where you get to the back where the field is, it's, it's actually quite beautiful. Trumbull the same, right? At the old home, at my old house, the old residence. It's beautiful. And it, it, it strikes your imagination. It's healthy for you body, bodily, but also spiritually, because you can reflect on just the grandeur, the beauty of God and what he does for us. And then you're reflecting, obviously, on the mysteries of Christ's life, whatever you know, decades you're praying. So as I said many times before, I usually pray in the car to keep my driving righteous. Right? <laughs> but now that the summer is, uh, is upon us, that's, that would be, that's a great exercise. Right? Yeah. True love of self by doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and any, so... Any plans for you, my friend, for summer? Anything on the horizon? We, yeah. You know, we, we've been wanting to get away and have a vacation since uh, February of last year. We haven't. Um, so I have tentatively booked a short getaway for my family the final week of June going into July 4th. Oh, good. So, yeah, our, our good. oldest will be back from college and, you know, good. hopefully good. hopefully good. we'll be it's able important. to do it. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Which I made one other spiritual principle. Okay. We say in English, we go to recreate. But the spiritual principle is remembered when you hyphenate the R-E and create. So you go to recreate to be recreated, which is what rest is supposed to do. Yeah. Now, not rest for rest's sake, rest for the proper love of self. So I could be rejuvenated in mission, keep my health, please God, in good shape, be attentive in your case to your wife, your children, myself to my ministry. So recreation, recreating, is actually an important spiritual principle. It's not selfish at all. It's, yeah. it's self-love. It's, it's loving of self in the true and, and proper way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Amen. That, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll take more vacations. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, I'm done. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I did want to ask you, Excellency. So mm -hmm. uh, in the diocese, um, mm -hmm. you, 
we, we just saw recently uh, Colorado did this, and I wonder if there are any discussions underway here to yes, reinstate. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Because uh, I'm not sure if, if you, you saw the news, but the governor announced um, that he will lift all restrictions on indoor assembly in every venue except the mandate to wear masks by, Mar by May 19th. Oh, wow. So there'll be no requirement for social distancing, no requiring for uh, sanitizing of the space every time it's used. There's just regular sanitation. So with that in mind, I think there is no reason why the dispensation that allows individuals to forego coming to mass in person should be extended any further past that date. Now, as, as Grace would have it, the following Sunday is, let's test your knowledge, is? Uh, it's too early for Corpus Christi. Is it, it's too late for Pentecost. No, it's Pentecost. It is, oh, okay. May 23rd, 24th is the weekend uh -huh. of Pentecost, the birth of the church. So really, what better Sunday to remove the dispensation than Pentecost Sunday? Awesome. It's perfect. As yeah. if the Lord, the outpouring of the Lord's mercy is. So there's a work on, um, in the background on a document that will explain all of this to the people. And Archbishop Blair, Bishop Cody and I are in conversation, right? Perhaps this is still preliminary, but perhaps we could issue something that we would all issue together, or perhaps oh. we'll do it separately. We may have the same date. I mean, I just literally, it just happened. So the document is, lit as we speak, is being formed oh, <laughs> in wow. between meetings. So by the time we have our next podcast in a week, I think a lot of this will be, will be settled. Awesome. And it's extremely exciting, isn't it? I hope the churches are busting at the seams when, when they're back opened up again. Right. I mean, for, I mean, fully. But you know what? May I make some points in this regard? All right. First, it's important to realize that even though the requirements for uh, the safety protocols are being relaxed, number one, there are individuals who have legitimate reasons why they cannot come to Mass. So, for example, if you tested positive, you are not to come to Mass. If you're quarantining, your obligation is to remain there. If, for example, you are too frail or elderly or can't travel to Mass, those people need to understand that there is no sin involved if you cannot come to Mass because the Lord will never ask you to do what's impossible to do. Right. right. Then there's another category of individuals. And the category of individuals are those uh, persons who are still, for whatever reason, uneasy, anxious, frightful to come into any large gathering for a lot of reasons. It could be their disposition. It could be that they have pre-existing medical conditions that most people may not even know, mm -hmm. right? And, and so they're very frightful. Now, for those individuals who are legitimately in that situation, to say you must come to Mass may be putting themselves in a situation where they're being asked to do, which at least in this moment is too much for them to do. 
Now, there is a very little known canon in the law. I believe it's 1245, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong on the number. Where a local pastor can dispense from the obligation one of his parishioners for, for pastoral reasons he considers legitimate. So my thinking is that when the dispensation is eliminated, if a person truly has a particular circumstance or, or just a, an anxiety that still has not totally abated and is really honestly a major obstacle to, to going to Mass in person, he or she should call their respective pastor because the person's pastor can dispense them from the obligation until they feel ready to come back. So it's not just a question of dispensing someone, but walking with the person until they're able to come back. So the goal is everybody comes back, but some may arrive just a little bit later. So I think instead of having a, a document that has all these conditions and then you wonder to yourself whether it applies to me, it doesn't apply to me, no differently than in confession, it is absolutely priceless to hear I absolve you of your sins. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Yes. Same thing here. If you're anxious about coming out, truly anxious, it makes no substitute for a competent authority who is the local pastor to say, no, you are for the time being remain dispensed and keep in contact with me because we want to welcome you home as soon as possible. Does that make yeah. sense? It makes sense. And I guess, you know, one of the benefits of doing that for, for that person also would be to, even if you can't go back to church, you can still talk to your pastor, have a priest there, talk to them regularly. Exactly right. Right. And, and then, and, and sometimes the anxieties need to be talked through yeah. with someone. Because, you know, when we think about it in our own minds, at least when, I, when I'm anxious about something, I just keep going around and around and around in my head, Right. Yeah. Someone has to come from the outside and say, okay, let's take a step back and let's talk about it, right? And I think everybody's in that position too. Yeah. So, so I think if, if all comes to pass and when we have our next podcast, please God, I can have some definitive word on this. But if all seems to work in that direction, then for those who may say, but I, I just can't, there, there's also a way to make sure these people are cared for as well. And kept in contact with. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm I have been waiting for a very long time. It has been 14 months. And the one thing that's interesting is our language makes a difference. So some people mistakenly say, well, you eliminated the obligation. No, no, no one can do that. It's divine right. law. Yeah. But what you did is granted a dispensation to attend Mass in person. So by eliminating the, dis the dispensation, the obligation has always remained. Now the obligation, there is, nothing, there is nothing standing in the way of please God, the people of God, fulfilling the obligation in person. It's really, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one more, one more reason to be feeling good today and these days. That's fantastic. The, one, the, the interesting thing about that, too, is um, once a document is issued, once a date is definitively decided, 
then the pastors of the diocese and I have to meet to talk about what is it that we are going to do going forward to ensure that we remain safe. Right. So I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Many parishes have um, suspended the basket for donations. So when the, when the dispensation is removed and everyone is asked to come back to Mass, will we resume passing the basket? Right. It all depends on how the basket is passed. Okay. Or will we allow the congregation to sing mm -hmm. when you have a mask on, but there is no great distance and people are literally in the next pew, in, behind you, in front of you? That's something we as, as a group need to talk about because we all need to do the same thing. And quite frankly, we have to make sure that the medical professionals weigh in so that we don't undo everything we've worked so hard to do by causing a widespread infection somewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So interesting. So will you have medical professionals there as that part of the planning for the diocese? We do. We have people okay. we consult. Yeah, of course we do. Sure. And okay. so, so I, I would presume that whatever document comes out will also be accompanied at the same time or soon after with the protocols for worship where there may be no social distancing with only the requirement of masks. Right. What will we do differently? The other thing that I think people need to remember and be prepared for is that, you know, the mass schedules have changed in the pandemic. And I will encourage the pastors to give thought with their leadership as to what mass schedule they want to have now as their new permanent schedule. Because pastors have always been reluctant in the past to reduce the number of masses being celebrated because they don't want to, you know, put, put anyone off or dis, uh, disconvenience someone, right? But the truth is, in some parishes, some Sunday Masses were down to 15 people at Mass. Hmm. And given the shortage of priests we have, this may be the time to say, okay, coming out of the pandemic, if we're going to you know, ask everyone to come back, this is really the schedule that meets as many people's needs, but also recognizes that I, as a pastor, may be alone here. Yeah. Right. So this. So there's a lot of hard work to be done between now and if it is Pentecost or Corpus Christi, whenever it happens. So we have to get busy to do this correctly. Yeah. It's not as it's not as simple as straightforward as uh, someone might think. No, and then no, and and the last piece, if I may, is there are going to be people for whatever reason who have fallen out of the habit of coming to Sunday Mass. So we talked about the ambassadors. My hope and prayer would be they would be open to receiving the suggestion, the encouragement, or a visit from someone to talk through because we want everyone to come back. And we want people who are not going to Mass before the pandemic to come back, right? Mm -hmm. yes. It's time to call everybody home. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, that's great. It's great news. That was a um, mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know... So as I was thinking about our catch-up chat, um, I was thinking about, you know, people through this show have gotten to get 
uh, they've gotten to know your background a little bit. They've gotten to know some of the excellent work you've been doing here as bishop, um, about your priesthood. Um, besides being bishop, though, I know that right now, today, you also have several other important roles, um, even outside our diocese. And I just thought maybe you could kind of give us a like an overview of some of the other stuff that you're doing. I know, like, you're you're the head chaplain for Legatus, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, there there are. I have obligations to some really wonderful organizations, which I gladly um, try my best to serve because they do tremendous work. And then my obligations at the USCCB, which mm-hmm. are not as extensive as other bishops, to be very honest. I'm not the chair, I've never been the chair of a full committee. And that's fine by me. <laughs> um, because I'm very hands-on, as you know, in the administration of the diocese. Right. right. I have a great group of people, my colleagues I work with, but I'm basically like parsley in good Italian food. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> And I like to be that. I like to be in as many meetings as I can, engaging with as many people as I can, visiting as much as I can, within human reason, of course. Yeah. So, so at the UCCB, the task that I have um, is to chair the subcommittee on the catechism. Now, it's a subcommittee of the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis. Now, it is about 27 years old. It was formed in a time when the catechetical texts in the United States were seriously deficient and the bishops created an oversight of those materials. In all these years, the publishers have really been excellent collaborators in listening to the things we've asked and really taking their texts to, I would say, a whole new level. The, the requirement is that they be both complete and authentic in relation to the catechism of the Catholic Church. Okay, now, so we, re- we review the texts. The list has a thousand texts now. One, one series alone could be 8,000 pages long. Okay, and we have a phenomenal staff at the USCCB, not big, who does all this work. It's just, incred- it's just incredible. Now, why am I spending so much time explaining this? Well, because the landscape has changed. What do I mean? Well, when you consider, number one, that a growing number of young people are studying their faith in a language other than English, and we do not review non-English texts. Hmm. When you consider that more and more resources are online, we do not review materials online. When you consider that more and more dioceses are creating their own religious educational faith formation curriculum and the publishers are actually publishing textbooks that fit their curriculum, because they're very large, dioceses, archdiocese, We don't review those texts, and I could go on and on. When you talk about enculturation, right? So young people who speak English, but come from a Vietnamese culture or a Nigerian culture 
or Colombian culture, and I could go on and on and on. Their religious sensibility is different. So the landscape has changed, and a lot of the resources we look at are now only a small part of the resources out there. So how do we review those? Then you look at the state of catechesis. And if I were to say to you, Steve, here is a Ferrari, here are the keys, you only happen to be 12 years old, what do you do with this car? Well, you can't drive it. Yeah. So in a certain, certain sense, right, we have put wonderful, well-meaning, well-intentioned, dedicated people as catechists in front of young people who have not had the ability or time or opportunity to be trained to use these materials for the type of young person who's sitting in front of them. Because young people now are different than they were, right? 20 years ago, 10 years ago. So the book is only as good as the catechist that uses it. And then there's the last piece of the puzzle. I'll get, my speech ends very shortly, okay? Parents, parents who are to be the witnesses of the faith. Many of them are struggling. Many of them don't know how to do it. Many of them have not been taught their own faith. So the landscape is totally changed. So the subcommittee has the mandate to say, how do you address this? Yeah. And what's coming to the fore is the beginnings of this idea of providing an institute without walls, okay? That will provide collaboration with the publishers, with all these other resources, formation for catechists and leaders of faith formation, and assistance to parents who are the other leaders of formation on a national scale. Yeah. Now, is that a big task? Woo, <laughs> there's a lot to do. And I'm the chair of that enterprise. Oh, wow. Right? So when you add that and all the tremendous work of Catholic Relief Services, yep. And the wonderful work of Legatus, as we know, who are Catholic business professionals who come together and want to develop their life of, of prayer and spirituality. There's a lot to do outside yeah. the diocese, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't trying to tell you that you need to do more. <laughs> I, was... I thought you were. I know the way you are. <laughs> no, but I enjoy it all. I enjoy yeah. it. I love it. I love it. I just sometimes feel guilty that I can't give more attention or time to everything I need to attend to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But then I say to myself, you just, you surrender to do the best you can with the time and the abilities God gives you. It's true for all of us, right? Yes. But I love it all. I just find it fascinating. And with CRS, I was on the phone recently with Sean, and we, we were together with Sean Kelly. Yes. Which is tremendous. And I said to him, you know, I may be the first chair of CRS that hasn't traveled. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm chair year and a half because of the COVID. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and just, you know, you look at the world and you say to yourself, we're 60, what did you say? 61% Who are 60 some odd percent vaccinated. Someone just recently mm -hmm. told me mm -hmm. in the state, or at least with one shot. Look at India. It's a humanitarian catastrophe. Yeah. 
225,000 new cases a day. Wow. And they are, epidemiologists are predicting that within three weeks, that number will go to 500,000 infections, new ones, every day? Every day. That's three and a half million people a week. And where are the hospital beds? Where's the medicine? Where's the oxygen? Where's the respirators? Where, where would you possibly get, even here in the United States, we would not have any ability to address all those people. Yeah, that's right. That's you know, right. so it's, it's, so we talk about CRS and travel. I mean, um, I'm hoping and praying for the sake of the individuals that this, this, this turn around and end because apart from us traveling, these people, you know, need a fighting chance to yeah. beat this pandemic. We, and we have to be of help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm? Excellency, let's, uh, let's take a quick break here. Um, when we come back, we're gonna dive into some more deep and important issues that are mm -hmm. local to, here, to us here. Uh, when we come mm -hmm. back on Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, uh, everybody, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. What I thought, Excellency, was going to be like a light-hearted chit-chat has actually turned serious, but that's good. That's good because that's what the show is for. Um, Without a doubt. Without a let, doubt. I, uh, what, what we, should, we should have a show just on stories of the summer. That could be, that, that could be a lot of laughs. But I want to go back to the obligation question for Sunday. Yes. Okay. Because the word obligation has to be understood properly. Mm -hmm. Is it a mandate, canonical requirement, expected of all Catholics to attend Mass on Sunday? Absolutely. But one has to understand that that codification arose out of the ancient tradition before there was a canon law that the practice of the church of Christians was to gather on Sunday, the eighth day of creation, the first day of the week, because they had a burning desire that nothing would stop them from fulfilling to be with their Lord, who comes to them truly, really, substantially in the Eucharist. So what I want our, our listeners to, to reflect on is when the dispensation is removed and people say, well, the obligation is back. The obligation is the codification of the burning desire that presumably everyone has to run into the arms of the law. You did not have to pass a law for you to love someone in your life that you fell in love with. Your heart told you that. The love of your heart impelled you to do that. Right? 
So while it is a mandate, this is not a legal exercise alone. This is, this is the opportunity for us. And some, I'm sure, with open arms, to be able to do what our heart is desiring all along, is to have communion with each other and communion, capital C, with the Lord, and he comes to us as food. I mean, this is more than a legal mandate. It's the burning desire of our hearts. We have to remember that. Right? Because the news will reduce it to, well, they're imposing the law again. No, 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 no. There's no law that forced me to love my mother. I did. Right. Yep. <laughs> right? Yes. And the same thing here. Right? Anyway, so I just yeah. had to say that too. No, thank you for pointing that out. That's, that's right. Because the, the word obligation, what it connotes. Yep. Right, right. So, okay. um, yeah. So, so we have some. Talk about? We have some legislation on the oh. table here in Connecticut. Oh. We have a few pieces of legislation. Let's oh, start with. A... <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can see your 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 body posture. <laughs> the oh listeners my can't, gosh! <laughs> let, let's start with um, uh, the removal of the religious exemption for refusing vaccines. Yeah. There's a huge debate going on. The House, um, the Assembly, um, they, the, the House of Representatives passed a bill that eliminates the religious exemption for children, for actually parents to, to opt out of vaccinating their children when I understand, an amendment was passed that allows those already exempt to continue to be exempt. But any new students coming in will now be mandated by law to be vaccinated to enter public school. Now, the argument is for the good of the young people and for the common good Everyone, every child should be vaccinated against polio and measles and rubella and all the rest. Because scientifically, they claim all the research is that they are effective and safe. And that even the church has said that for the vast majority of these vaccines, that they are ethical to receive. So the argument of the people who are pushing this is, if more and more people opt out, then the common good is being threatened. And we can't allow that to happen. And they will claim that people choose the religious exemption simply because for whatever reason, they're uncomfortable being vaccinated, which may or may not have a religious basis. Okay, now, but the counterpoint is this. It is very dangerous for the state to say that in conscience, I, for whatever reason, um, in my religious faith, do not feel I in conscience can do this or my children can do this. In my mind, even though I would strongly advocate everyone to vaccinate their children, obviously, but in my mind, that principle is very sacred extremely important because 
if you allow the state to circumvent the ability of people truly on religious grounds to object in this, they will start to do it in other things as well. And most people understand religion as the exercise of their faith in their whole life, right? Not just when they worship in their whole life. Yes. So it is a complicated question. I think they recognized how complicated it is because I believe they grandfathered everyone in already. But for the younger children coming into the system, I still believe that a parent should have the ability on religious grounds to forego the vaccination of themselves or their children because I believe the freedom of religion should allow that to happen, even though we should do everything we can to try to educate them to say, there are consequences, and for health reasons, you have to be very careful yeah. on whether or not this is the path you want to take. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, you know, and just, the, you know, from my point of view, the state can't be telling us when or when not parents are saying, this is my religious belief. <laughs> Let me give you an example of what I mean. Okay. This could, this could be going down the slippery slope. Um, when animals are killed to fulfill kosher dietary regulations or to be halal for our Muslim bro brothers and sisters, there are some that may say that is a painful way for an animal to die. And if the state were to say, yeah, well, there's a basic, uh, in the common good, we need to protect animals because, you know, that's what, that's what a civilized society does. And therefore, they will say, you can no longer do that. Now, I'm not saying the state would do that. Right. But in my mind, um, whether you think that is a proper way or not, if my religion dictates to me that in order for me to eat food, it has to be cooked this way, it has to be cultured this way, the state should never interfere. Yeah. Never in doing that. Yeah. Because where does it end from there? Yeah. And we see it now in the fight with pregnancy centers and we see it with people who are pro-life pro and you know, are told you have to be 50 feet, 100 feet, 200 feet, 500 feet, whatever it is, right? On what basis? On what basis is that is that drawn? What legal precedent? And again, I'm not a lawyer, and I may be corrected by the lawyers who are listening to this podcast, but it's a slippery slope. It becomes a very slippery slope when the state regulates religious practice. Yeah. So, again, going back to the vaccines, um, I would certainly urge the Senate not to pass that bill because I think it will set a very dangerous precedent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Excellency. Um, there's there's a, another bill uh, in the House right now. It's House Bill 6425, and it huh. is um, about what they call dying with dignity. I'm making air quotes with my hands, but um, it's physician-assisted suicide. And Yeah. Its official name is an act concerning aid in dying for terminally ill patients. Mm -hmm. And again, we've talked about this before. Um, what's the basis of the law? 
the basis is that a person is terminally ill and irreversibly so. That they are entering into a state where their terminal illness will create an excessive burden of pain and distress, which will cause their final days to be very, very painful and cause them to suffer and would be a tremendous burden on their families to watch them die that way. And therefore, since it is inevitable that this disease will take their life, is it not an act of mercy that if a person is of sound mind with proper medical consultation, and I'm not, I don't remember if the doctor actually has to sign off, which could possibly be a provision, that they would be able to self-administer a drug or drugs that would literally put them to sleep unto death. Isn't that more merciful? Okay. Now, on the surface, it sounds, you know, almost compelling, except for the following facts. Fact number one. There are many times when people are terminally ill at great suffering. But we have made huge advances in pain management that a person need not, unless they choose, and some people actually do choose, um, you need not endure uh, disproportionate or unbearable physical pain in a terminal illness. A person can be made comfortable and still remain in, in control of his senses. Right. That's number one. The second is, how are we to know that on a physical level, a person taking their life could not prematurely end the possibility of a medical intervention that he or she or their doctors have not yet thought of that could actually address the situation that is perceived to be terminal unto death. We all know stories of people who have given up and comes to mind a clinical trial and they suddenly have not only hope, but some have healing. And the premature ending of their life cuts that possibility off. And then there's the spiritual question. Apart from the basic, only God is the author of life and God is the author of when death comes, no one else. Why would we want to cut the time, the earthly time a person has, particularly when they may be dying, not knowing whether or not the time they will no longer have could have been essential for their conversion, their reconciliation with God, even their eternal life? I don't know the state of my own heart. No one knows the full state of their heart. How would I know someone else's heart? How do I know this person is truly spiritually at peace and ready to go to God? And even though they may think so, they do not actually fully know. Only God knows. And God has in his foresight foreseen the moment of their death 
Why would we not follow that which God has foreseen? Because God may know something that will happen between the artificial moment when they may take their life to the natural moment he has chosen that can actually save them unto eternity. So when you look at it that way, in my mind, what seems to be mercy killing or whatever they call it, or aid for terminal ill, is misguided, misplaced, and actually spiritually very dangerous. That is why the church teaches what it teaches about euthanasia and mercy killing. It's not merciful at all yeah. <laughs> in the end. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And maybe it's a good time. I mean, so uh, one thing that I'll just point out is that between the time of us recording this today and when it airs, who knows what's going to happen. But this is, this is a good opportunity also, Excellency, for you to, again, you know, kind of maybe teach us the difference between, you know, uh, physician-assisted suicide and then simply the removal of, of extraordinary measures, which uh, is licit, right? Right, absolutely. So any of these bills that we are referring to are the direct intervention in the cessation of human life for this mistaken idea that it's merciful. On the other hand, death has a natural progression. Mm -hmm. When someone is dying unto death. We can tell the signs, right? Doctors, nurses, even the person themselves gets a sense of what's happening. And therefore, we have, as believers, again, religiously, a right to a natural death. Ordinary means of intervention, we have an obligation to do. So for example, medication, hydration, food, are natural rights, particularly food and hydration. You cannot starve someone to death. But extraordinary interventions, you have a choice to say no. Because if you extend your natural earthly life by 10 years, that could be a blessing. But at the expense of eternity is not a blessing. Right? Yeah. So the bottom line is extraordinary intervention could be experimental treatments. It could even actually be chemotherapy, in a sense, because chemotherapy is an extraordinary act. Depending on what the, what the program is, a person could legitimately say if the prognosis is not good, that I want to enjoy the rest of my natural life until the Lord takes me home yeah. without having to carry this burden. Now, most people do do extraordinary means and they have every right to do it. They have every right to do it because that's the blessing of technology used correctly and the knowledge of mankind as it develops in medical advances. That is all done so that people can use them. So there's never a question, you know, should I not? That is totally within your choice to do. But we also need to respect those who are not many, who will simply say, I, I don't want to go down this path. Right. Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. It's an important distinction. I'm glad you, you explained that. Um, so that's the right to life on the, on the kind of the mm -hmm. later in life after you've lived life. And the third bill that is on the table right now, it has to do with the beginning of life. And uh, it's SB 
835. It's titled, An Act Concerning Deceptive Advertising Practices of Limited Service Pregnancy Centers. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge debate here in Connecticut about the, what I call them the life centers, right? Right, and those are the centers where women come who are pregnant, who are told the full story. Yes. Right, and not just what the, uh, I'm going to say, those centers that advocate for abortion will tell them, right? I think there's a right for that to happen always, everywhere. People should know the full truth. But the truth is that when many women are given the full truth, many choose not to go forward with abortions. Yeah. And there is much of a vested interest for that not to happen in this state because there's this misguided idea that an abortion is a, a woman's right, right to choose. But, uh, but life is never a choice in that sense, right? So there have been many bills trying to restrict centers, right? Um, particularly those that may not give out information on abortion, right? Uh, and lead women towards the decision of, of keeping the life. So I must confess, I'm not as, as, as knowledgeable because much of my attention was on the terminally ill bill. Mm-hmm. But I would, again, keep our listeners in tune to make sure yeah. that they keep in touch with what's going on in Hartford. Any bill that restrict, restricts the centers that are serving women in a holistic way in, in, in the mind of the church, if there's anything out there, including this bill, that is attempting to stop that, those bills need to be defeated. Yeah. Simple as that. You have to ask, why, why don't you want women to know what their options are? You know, what's the danger in that? So it's, uh, yeah, it's mind boggling. But um, there's a place actually, if you're listening and you want more information, you can go to the um, Connecticut Catholic Conference uh, website and you can learn all about these. You can sign petitions and things. The website is ctcatholic.org, I believe. Um, and so. Also, you know, Peter. Hmm? Peter's group, Peter Wolfgang, right? Yes. There are many groups yes. in the state that can be of help on family life, on the moral issues that we struggle with in the public square and how we can defend, you know, not just the right to life in, in the womb of a mother, but the right to life and the dignity of life at every stage of life. Yeah. Like, so we talk about the beginning and end. How about in, the, in between? Family life needs yes. to be protected and nurtured and nourished and defended and resourced. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, in, the, in the show notes then when we post the podcast, we'll put up links to, to some of these groups yeah, where excellent. you can go and, and learn more. Okay. So uh, we'll take one more break. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano, and we'll be right back with a listener question. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning. 
Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, this week's question comes from um, Anonymous. The question is, Bishop Frank, now that Easter has passed and the weather is getting nice and there's not another big feast for a while, what can I do to keep the spiritual momentum going and not drop off? Well, uh, oh, there's much, there's much going on, my goodness. First of all, the month of May. Yes. All right, and our devotion to Our Lady. We'll start there. And it opens with St. Joseph the Worker, and this is the year of St. Joseph. Yeah. We have Pentecost. We just said 23rd, 24th May. The Novena to the Holy Spirit takes you from mid-May to the feast. Then we have the feast of Corpus Christi in the beginning of June. So I would say, you know, pick one or two of those. If, if someone were to ask my recommendation, both Pentecost and Corpus Christi lend themselves beautifully to the novenas that precede them. And that's almost, if you consider it, that's almost a month. The yeah. Nine days to Pentecost, then we have Most Holy Trinity Sunday, then you have the nine days to Corpus Christi. And that's a beautiful way to enter into the summer. Yeah. The school calendar is winding down, but the liturgical calendar marches on. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, thankfully. And this is the beautiful time of the year. Yes. For the very reasons about the weather getting nice. Um, May, in my mind, has always just been a special time because, you know, I have a great devotion to Our Lady, and it's beautiful, it's warm, it's sunny, the light's increasing. Um, I find it one of the easiest times of the year to pray. Yeah, and with the churches. It is so beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there is a lot to do. Yay. So, and we're going to post links, like I said, in the show notes for the Family Institute of Connecticut and the Connecticut Catholic Conference. Um, it's important for listeners to go there and, and support these organizations and, and speak out about legislation. It affects us here in the state. So, mm-hmm. And if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and always show you his mercy. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My friend, I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency. See you. Thank you, everybody. God bless.